Welcome back to the program. Uh, ordinarily, I won't begin with a scripture reading and a prayer, but I'm going to today. Uh, and there's a reason for it, which, again, you'll be patient. You'll find out. <laughs> it's from Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 14 and going to 21. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that he may grant you, in accord with the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner self, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the holy ones what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to accomplish far more than we all ask or imagine by the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Lord our God, I thank you for the gift of this beautiful prayer of St. Paul. And I ask uh, St. Paul, please intercede for us. Pray for fathers, that we would be magnificent fathers. Pray for those who are fathers in homes, fathers in married life, as well as spiritual fathers, priests and bishops, and for our Holy Father. I do ask, Lord, Jesus, in your sweet, precious, and powerful name, that you would forge magnificent fathers in this moment in history. Please, Lord, let it begin in our lives. We say yes. We say yes, Lord. Make us saintly. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So much to talk about today. Lots of stories. It involves this passage. It involves a prayer meeting last Tuesday night that I was a part of where we prayed for a deeper release of the power of the Holy Spirit uh, in, in my life and in the lives of those who were with me. It was really beautiful. So I want to kind of give a testimony about that. It's about this theme of magnificence and of magnanimity. And I'll bring you to an event that I had the privilege of speaking at on First Friday at Court of Christ. It's a, it's a faith-based private school, in uh, high school in Coeur d'Alene. And they're opening up this week. They had their convocation. And then uh, I want to talk to you about Sunday. And Sunday was really the, the linchpin. It's kind of what holds together the theme for today. So my family ended up going to a traditional Latin mass at a parish that we don't normally go to. And it was a kind of a combination of kids got up a little late and they had talked about, hey, why don't we go to the traditional Latin mass at this other parish? Um, we heard some families that we know go there as well. So let's do that. So we did. We went to the mass and one of the things that happens in this particular parish is that you'll um, be able to go to confession throughout the Mass. So they have confessions available 
through the Mass. And when we first got there, I was just praying with my family, and um, and something prompted me to say, go to confession. So, all right, something, someone, the Lord, <laughs> saying, go to confession. It wasn't like this major thing where I was feeling like the the weight of mortal sin. It was more, gosh, you know, I hadn't been in almost two months, and that's I'm in a kind of a pattern right now, a habit of going more frequently than that. And it just, the summer was kind of crazy. So I'm like, okay, let me go. So I got in line. And this particular priest, (laughs) hearing confessions, was uh, attending to each penitent. How's that? (laughs) Uh, Each confession was was, uh, using a, 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 a meaningful amount of time, which is a beautiful thing. And I would discover the beauty of that beautiful thing when it was my turn. It just so happened, though, that um, by the time I went into the confessional and came out, I missed Holy Communion. And you know what? It was okay. I'd never experienced that before. It was so interesting. Where the sacrament that I had the incredible blessing from the Lord to participate in was wasn't going to be receiving holy communion but instead it was and to encounter the lord in holy communion right but instead to encounter the lord in the confessional in the act of confessing my sin and it was i came away from the confessional i came out of confession experiencing this deep sense of of of, of God's grace, the consolation that you'll read about in uh, in books about going to confession um, or in the catechism. Right? The catechism talks about spiritual consolation is something that um, ought not to be considered rare, but is something that is often experienced from those who go to confession. So what happened? Okay, so I went into the confessional and just poured my heart out right? So I, um, the Lord in his great mercy has given me the grace to be pretty exposed, kind of put it out there, kind of confession. (laughs) So pray for that grace. Pray for that grace. Part of it is making that good examination of conscience. And then once you come up with a habit of good examinations of conscience, uh, it becomes easier easier. I don't know if it's ever easy. There's that shame that wants to hide when we go in there instead of accusing ourselves. But when you have, and when I have these encounters with God's mercy and the, the, that encounter with a spiritual resurrection and being reconciled to the Lord and being brought back at peace, things are back in order in my life. The consolation that comes with that, that's a great motive. It's a great motivator to be rigorous and um, uh, thorough in the act of confessing uh, in the confessional itself. So, um, so I confessed, poured it all out there, and interesting. So the the first the priest said something to me never heard before in confession. He said, "What did I say to you the last time you came here? <laughs> what did I say to you the last time uh, you went to confession to me?" And I said, Father, I've never been to confession to you before. And he said, okay. And he said, 
the theme of the program. He said, I want you to pray and to strive to be a magnificent father. He said, for you, your call, the call you have in life, is to magnificence. And magnificence and fulfilling the duty of your state in life as a father. Strive to become a magnificent father. Strive for magnificence in being a father. And then he referenced Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 to 21. That passage that I read at the beginning. And he said, you know, it, it says in St. Paul, that for this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Right? So that there's this reality that if I'm a father, in, I'm being magnificent as a father, my kids, in the mystery of my relationship with them, is going to get a glimpse. It's going to get a bit of a taste. They're going to have a bit of an encounter with God the Father, fathering his children through me. That is the exalted call that fathers have. And uh, the reason why I'm making such a big deal about this, this father obviously had no idea. Uh, and I'm guessing very few of you either. So when I started doing coaching work, uh, coaching and consulting with CEOs and senior executives of corporations, I needed to come up with the name of for my business through which I was going to do that, through which I did that. And uh, the name of the business was The Mill Institute, M-I-L-L, The Mill Institute. And um, what uh, MIL is an acronym. And what MIL stands for is, ta -da -da, Magnificence in Life and Leadership. Magnificence in life and leadership. And that theme of magnificence is one that I took from St. Thomas Aquinas, who uh, was influenced to some degree by Aristotle, who talks about the virtue of magnificence. And obviously, St. Thomas Aquinas, I'm going to use a, 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 a metaphor here, baptizes the concept. He immerses it into a framework that is based in Catholic faith, based in a supernatural dimension, where magnificence is about that willingness to strive to do something great with your life. Magnificence. Do something great. Produce something great. Involve yourself in a, in a great project, in a, in a great work. Have magnificence in your life and in leadership. So that theme has been very fundamental, foundational in my own professional life and having an overflow back to my family, which was the, the, the striking thing is that he didn't, again, he doesn't know me. And he said, strive for magnificence as a father. And so for me, that was a beautiful way that the Lord was communicating to me that uh, that he knows me, like he knows I'm there, he's forgiving me, and he's gracing me. 
He's going to give me the grace to strive to extend myself to do something great for him in my home. Now, this reference to magnificence and to Ephesians chapter 3 that happened in the confessional on Sunday morning actually traces back to two different events. What happened on Tuesday at the prayer meeting where, guess what, the the core of the teaching that I gave that talked about the idea that the Lord has this power of the Holy Spirit that he has willed us to receive and to operate out of, to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, not just human power, not just human thinking and human thoughts, but the, the spiritual power, the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit that moved in and through the apostles and through all the early church from Pentecost, I used Ephesians chapter 3 to, to break out what that looks like. I used the very same passage, that it's the Holy Spirit is going to have this riches of his glory that will be strengthened with power through the Spirit, his Spirit, in the inner self, and that it's Christ's love that's going to expand and extend our hearts to the heights and depths and, and length and breadth, and that we'll experience that love that surpasses knowledge that will be filled with the fullness of God. This is our inheritance. This is what the Lord intends. And yet it seems so foreign to so to the great, great, great majority of Catholics. Even though it's right there in the scriptures, we can read those words, but how does that take flesh? How does that take flesh in our lives? So that's what we were praying for on Tuesday. Lord, we want a release of the power of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit of Pentecost given to us in confirmation. Come, Holy Spirit, be released within us in new ways in accord with the grace you've given to us in our confirmation. Okay, so you've heard me talk about that. But it was so beautifully confirmed in the confessional, and then on Friday, I had the, the wonderful blessing of being with some just beautiful, wonderful uh, Catholic families at this uh, convocation of um, a, a new high school. It's a classical high school in the Catholic tradition. It's not associated with the Diocese of Boise. It is a private school that is a faith-based classical school, high school. Um, in the Catholic tradition. And it was, uh, I, I, I had the chance to share my own heart on why it was so beautiful for me to, to be there. And it was that classical schools encourage kids to pursue the virtue of magnanimity. The same, it's an allied virtue that I made the principal theme of my talk. It was that these kids in a classical school, by the very nature of this school, are asked to stretch themselves, extend themselves, to do something great for God by becoming scholars and saints and servant leaders, and how I see God doing that in faith-based classical schools in, in, uh, on the west side, uh, in the Puget Sound area, uh, over here in Spokane, and then now in northern Idaho. It's just a desperate need that the church has to equip high school students and parents to, to be able to raise their kids in settings, in high school settings, where these faith-based settings, these classical school settings, push kids, extend kids to do and become something great in ways that you just you don't experience you don't experience at the typical high school 
the typical Catholic high school for sure, and without question, typical public schools, public high schools, because they, they leave God out altogether. So that's been my experience and the experience of many. So, all right, I'm up against a break. When I come back, I'm going to share with you the fruit of that confession when it comes to being a father and when it comes to being spiritual fathers. If you listened to the program yesterday, you heard Father Lewis and me talk about life in the seminary and some of the strengths that were there, but some of the gaps that were there. And so I'm going to build off of that and talk about some of the, the gaps that I've experienced being a father and what I just long to pass on to other fathers so that we will uh, we'll grow in holiness. We'll become magnificent fathers. So I'm going to share like uh, four or five key points about becoming a magnificent father and then share with you and hone in on four or five of those points where seminaries today could step in and form seminarians who are discerning the priesthood to become priests who are magnificent spiritual fathers because of the gaps that were present in my seminary formation and in and that of so many others, so many other priests of that time, of the 80s and 90s, and then even Father Jeff talking about it in his experience as well. But I'll be a break. Back in a minute with more of the program. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you. And I, I have to tell you, I have, it's been such a privilege to walk with many moms and dads, husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, who are discerning the right path for their families. In, and when it gets to that level, when it rises to that level of, we have to move. And many families, there are dozens and dozens of them that have made that decision. And those that are in a situation where we are not able to move, the call, if we could raise the call to another level, it would be this. You have to find your Egypt. You have to find your refuge because there is a there is a Herod that is being denom- demonically inspired to slaughter the innocents, just like Herod attempted to bring about the slaughter of the child Jesus because he was threatened that this new king was going to displace him. The king of the Jews was going to displace him. And so he even went to the extent of slaughtering the innocents and how Joseph was led by the messenger of God, the angel, to flee in order to preserve the life and have that child, the baby Jesus, the Son of God, and the Blessed Mother to be safe and to be able to be nurtured and strengthened to then re-engage, right? 
to re-engage. So a lot of families, and I think if you're listening to this on the radio or on a podcast, and you have a sense of just how devastating the slaughter of the innocents is in our time. It's just not a question. And so parents, you've, you've got to discern, you've got to discern where is the refuge? Where's the refuge for my kids? Because sending them to typical Catholic schools and Catholic high schools is, is it's still a place of slaughter. That's the presumption until you prove that it's not. Expect that your kid's faith is going to be slaughtered just because the majority of kids that are there are not practicing Catholics uh, in your typical Catholic high schools. It's just not because they're open to anybody who comes there. And so even the kids that come there, it might be more than 50% Catholic statistically, but how many of these kids are coming from families that are practicing their faith? It's just not even half. And so uh, the dominant culture in those schools, even though they're called Catholic high schools, they're just not an authentic Catholic spirit, profoundly infused with uh, a, a Catholic uh, spirit that is going to take on the world and push back and stand up against uh, just the, the forces that are coming against these poor kids, um, especially, again, in social media platforms and, and things that are, are worth saying again and again. It's so interesting. I was listening to a, an exorcist uh, give a talk on eight pathways to uh, demonic influence and uh, attachments, demonic uh, bondage in life. And um, one of the first ones he st- stated was the internet, uh, media, social media platforms, that the clever ways in which the demonic presents itself and influences and, and uh, uh, cleverly while, uh, wheedles his way into the thinking, into the attitudes, diminishing the hedges of defense, washing away innocence, uh, disrupting and and, uh, polluting pure hearts, uh, fostering attitudes that are just uh, rooted in a diabolic approach to marriage, family, sexual identity, to life itself. This is what is pouring over your kids continuously, continuously, and yet in a way that's entertaining and clever and uh, overwhelming. It's just overwhelming for these poor kids, and they don't stand a chance. And it's those kids, those are the kids that are now coming into the schools, right? Those are the kids that are carrying those attitudes into the schools. And God bless us of schools will push back and stand up and say, we're going to protect you kids from those influences. It's a tremendous battle. So I, this is why I, I moved from consulting with uh, businesses and, and executives to consulting with you know, owners of businesses to owners of, of homes and <laughs> those who have stewardship over businesses to those who have stewardship over families to say, let me help you discern how to take an action to rescue your family from the devastation, from the flood that's coming. Let me help you to discern and discover a refuge in place, if you can find a refuge that is where you live, and if not, uproot and take action. So there's that much at stake. So, all right, this kind of actually brings me around to the theme of today, which is becoming a magnificent father. How do I become a magnificent father? It was something that this priest uh, uh, invited me to do. He invited me, he says, look, you're gonna, you'll grow in holiness. You'll grow to fulfill the God-given call that you have to become a saint and fulfill your God-given mission, 
if you strive to be a magnificent father. And I just thought, that is so awesome. That is so, again, I just I floated out of the confessional and I was okay. I was really okay that I missed going to Holy Communion. So it made me think and say, wait a minute, what were the things, what were the areas where I have fallen short because of a lack of awareness as I entered marriage and as I've lived now 28 years of married life? I have four areas, four areas, and there's so many more, but I want to limit it to four about being a magnificent father. And then I want to just build off uh, encouragements that we need to pray for our priests to be magnificent spiritual fathers. And I'm going to show you there's some ways in which the things that I have fallen short in and things that I, weren't, I just wasn't prepared for, that that's a common theme. It was a theme that we talked about yesterday, uh, Father Lewis and I, and I'm just going to build off of that today. So let me start with, how do you, how do you become a magnificent father? Oh, by the way, I know there are a lot of women listening. Okay, so pass this on to, your, to the men in your life, your husbands, your sons, your brothers, your fathers. Pass it on to them. But also, you know what? You're going to find that lots of applications to being a magnificent mother. Okay? Extend yourself to do something great as a mother. So this, this applies both ways. It's not just, for, not just for the men. Okay. So I have, um, I've got four for, um, four for being a magnificent father. Let's just start with that. Now, the first one, first one's probably the most impactful, believe it or not. Um, I'm going to talk about the weight of inheritance. I'm going to talk about the call we have to lead, provide, and protect spiritually and materially, I'm going to talk about spiritual warfare, and talk about being courageous and kind, courageous and kind simultaneously. Okay, so those are the four I'm going to talk about as gaps that as I entered towards married life, and as I was married, and now married 28 years, I was not formed in these things. I was not formed and so therefore prepared for them. And it had an impact. It just, it really had an impact. And, and so to be able to, to realize that, um, that, you know, marriage, you know, you, you know that marriage is, it's hard work and, and being a father is, is, is a difficult challenge. But um, if you're prepared well, it, it, then you become open and, and you become uh, equipped and, and you're not surprised. You're not caught off guard. You can, you can engage better. So, so here's the first one. The first one is what I called it the weight of inheritance. And this is one where when you think about, well, what is it that shapes how, I, how I'm going to be a, a husband and a father? Nature, nature, nurture, choice, right? Nature, nurture, choice. And, and choice can also be things that have happened to you. So life experience. So nature, nurture, how, my temperament, my personality, right? Nurture, how I was brought up. Choice. The decisions that I've made, and then just the life experiences that I've had, and things that have happened to me—all those things shape and mold me. However, not appreciating—I didn't really appreciate, and, and I really wasn't told, wasn't taught, and formed before I got married and before I became a father. That being a magnificent father, doing something great as a father, would mean a lot of both appreciating the gift that came from my father, but also the gap that was there, that was a weight of inheritance. It was simply the weight of, this is how I was raised, so this is how I'm going to do it. This is how I've been fathered, so this is how I'm going to be a father. Not appreciating that, the, the weight of that. And then especially when it didn't work. 
See, that's where the crisis comes in. That's where the rubber meets the road, is when the way that we were brought up, that we bring into our married life, that there are going to be some strengths that are apparent. And it's like, wow, what a blessing that you're like this, husband and wife, mother and father. But there are also going to be some um, some natural tendencies we have to fall into patterns that are related to how we were brought up. And that works to the extent that life is going okay, then you might be able to get by with it. But when life gets hard, when life becomes faced with critical tribulations and trials and difficulties, all of a sudden, the the weight of inheritance and the limits of that, the brokenness of that, the uh, the the comfortable patterns that worked when things were were in normal situations, no longer work. It's really hard to disrupt that pattern because it's so fundamental. It's a it's a, it's like a deep framework. It oh you know what it's called metanoia. It's a fundamental conversion, and that conversion. Is 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 a conversion of a whole, like a whole flow. It's like again being in that river that's going downstream, and it's like you've got to swim against the tide. You've got to swim against the current, and that's really hard. When life got really hard for us about five years ago, that's when it was like you know what we can't just rely on the what we've inherited. No, Lord, we've got to go beyond that. So, but but boy, that meant breaking, disrupting, and even being crushed, being crushed under the, the, the pain and suffering that, that we were going through. And so um, one aspect of this, that, that just sort of a part B, is healing the family tree, what is sometimes called cleansing the bloodlines. You see, what we inherit isn't just our nature, right? Spiritual writers those involved in healing ministries, those involved in deliverance ministries, uh, exorcists, when they write about healing, they talk about healing, not just physical healing. That's the, that's what we most naturally think of because that's where most miracles or healing miracles are physical in nature. The blind see, the, the deaf hear, the, the lame walk, right? These are astounding miracles. Um, but there's also um, spiritual healing, Right, the supernatural that comes in and in spiritual healing, especially like I, confession, forgiven, being forgiven sins, right? Um, but then there's also emotional healing where there's wounds from past events that hold us back and, and, and restrict us and, and, and keep us from being able to be open and, and, and to be free and to flourish. And so that emotional healing, but then healing of memories as well, the traumas and, and, and the wounds that come from things that have happened to us or things that we did or things that were said to us that, again, need to be healed. Well, there's also healing of the family tree. There's also the healing that is associated with what we've inherited is more than just the nature. But spiritual insights say that and, and that the sins and the demonic attacks that have come against my parents and grandparents have a, a downhill effect into my life and can then go beyond me down into my kids' lives. I've seen it. I have seen it. 
All right, I'll continue on this theme in a minute as I'm talking about four lacks that I've found in my own preparation to be a father that I've had to overcome in, in my call to be a magnificent father. Back in a minute. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out. DrTomCurran.com, DrTomCurran.com. Okay, back to Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. It's great to be with you today. So talking about these gaps, these lacks that uh, I've experienced in my own life when it comes to being prepared to be married and how I want to share them with you so that you can take action because if they're operative in your married life or in being a father, it's something that you might say, oh, I can address that. I don't want to do what Tom did. <laughs> or if you've been being prepared to be married, you can start taking it on right now. So uh, it's a truism that, oh, the way that you were brought up is likely going to be the way that you bring up your kids. But you don't realize it from the inside until you're going through it, what it actually means, what it feels like, what it's like. And and so not only are the gifts going to be impactful, the things that you've inherited from your, your family, your parents, your dad, but so also the gaps, right? So if there's passivity, if there's a passivity there, or if there is a, uh, a, lack, of a, a lack of being able to engage in conversation, important, meaningful conversations, then that'll naturally lead to a kind of reluctance and a passivity to engage in those things with your own kids, so these are, this is where disrupting and shifting and saying, Lord, I want to, to, to do the fullness of what you're asking me to do is going to be so helpful for you to know yourself, but then also to pray through any kind of healing of the family tree that you might need. So there's this book, Deliverance Prayers for Use by the Lady, and I was actually reading it on Sunday, and I was praying uh, some healing prayers for the family tree, generational healing prayers to cleanse those bloodlines of any demonic attachments or hexes or curses or, or sins, the, the effects of sins that have rolled down from, from parents to children down through the generations. And it's like, I, hey, if I, can, if I could say stop, it ends here, no more. It is definitely something that I would want to protect my kids from. And I got to tell you, I, I said just before the break that this is true. I have seen things emerge in my kids that at, at a physical level, I'm like, oh my goodness, I did that when I was younger. Carrie says it, I say it all the time regularly. That little look, that glance, that, that gesture, that, that, um, that, that way of, of engaging, sitting, talking, standing, moving around. It's like, that came from me. And it, like, it wasn't imitation of something they saw. It just emerged out of them. And then I've seen it as well in, at a deeper level when it comes to spiritual woundedness, 
I'm like, oh my goodness. There's nothing that happened to that kid to have that child show up like that. But I see them showing up like that. There's something generational going on here. This is something that I inherited from my dad and coming to find out, oh, this came from my dad probably and from his bloodline. Now I can pray for this severing of connection, this renouncing, this this pray for you with authority, detaching from and asking Christ to cast it away. Have you ever heard anything about that? That's worth exploring. That's just one of the four. I, I'll just stop there because I want to get into these other ones. The second one I mentioned already was to lead, provide, and protect at the spiritual and material level. It's like, how? no one ever told me that. No one ever told me that if I want to reflect on what it means to be a husband and father, my call is to lead, provide, and protect my family, my wife and my children, any children God gives me. And and if you've listened to me on Sound Insight, you know this is a theme I talk about quite a bit. And I, I've only talked about it for about, I don't know, maybe seven or eight years, even maybe less than that. And it was because I was taught it after 20 years of marriage, even though I've wrote a book on marriage and given lots of talks on it, not having the formation to understand in depth, what does that mean? What does it mean to lead and provide and protect? Um, and, and you know, because most guys who are not formed theologically, they didn't have five years of, of formation in the seminary or theological formation, lead, provide, protect is principally a material thing. Yeah, you know, I'm going to be the one in charge. I'm going to be the one who brings home the bacon, and I'm going to make sure that my family is safe, right, material. But how does that weave together with the spiritual? How do I provide spiritual leadership in the home? How many men have been formed to provide spiritual leadership for their wives and for their kids? It's just, it's just so rare. It's so little. And then what about spiritual provision? What does that mean? How does someone, how does a dad spiritually provide for his kids? Spiritually provide. And then what about spiritual protection? Right? So it, it's amazing how if we stop and think, okay, spiritual leadership means setting an example, being holy, actually doing more than you're asking them to do. So being generous and giving that holy example, providing, well, through intercession and through good works. Do you know that the church teaches that your good works can win you graces for your family, for the ones you love? It can merit good things and answered prayers. But hidden, hidden provision through intercession. Do, you, like, do we realize that? Have we been taught that? Do we think about that? And then protection. Do you realize how much your holiness matters? You being holy provides a hedge, hedge of protection over your kids and over your wife. But if you settle for sin, if you give in to sin, it strips away, it weakens, diminishes, or disrupts, or eliminates that hedge of protection around your kids. Whoa. That, that up, I mean, talk about upping your game. That is so important. So, uh, so that's just the second one. The third one, the third one again, which is, a, again, I'm talking about four areas right now. I want to be a magnificent father. I want to strive to be a magnificent father. And there are gaps that I just think that most Catholic fathers have never heard of, never, never been formed in. And so I'm just referencing these for you to think about, to pray about, to reflect on, to see if it will help you grow to be a magnificent father. Third is spiritual warfare. So you've already heard me talk a bit about this idea of um, 
you know, the idea of healing the family tree, cleansing the bloodlines, leading, providing, protecting in a spiritual way. But just focusing on that theme of spiritual warfare, the realm of angels and demons, right? Have you been equipped to know how to relate to your guardian angel or your family's guardian angel or to uh, be asking them, inviting them, begging them to exercise the fullness of the mission for which they were created? Do you realize that your guardian angel was created for you? That's that's that guardian angel, your guardian angel's mission. The reason for being of that angel is to lead, provide, and protect you on your life journey so that you become a saint and you fulfill your God-given mission. How much do you engage with your guardian angel? Like, let's talk about that. Let's explore that. So this, but then, okay, so spiritual warfare, right? And then recognizing that you have an enemy out there, an enemy. You have the realm of the demonic. You live under, in a world where the dominion of Satan has been overthrown by Christ, but the battle hasn't fully worked itself out yet. So the demons are still going to come at you. Going to come at your vehicles, your possessions, your finances, your jobs, your kids. Uh, and, and they're going to seek after weak points. So the, the idea of taking up the weapons of warfare, humility, honesty, and hilaritas, hilarity, like these three, you hear me talk about these three. The reason I talk about these three so much, not only that great saints talk about them as three beautiful aids in growing spiritually, but they're going to help you fight spiritual battles if you're humble, if you know what that means. Honestas, living an upright life. And hilaritas, not taking yourself too seriously, but taking seriously that God takes you seriously, right? Also, asking for forgiveness. Who was taught that? Who was taught how specifically to ask for forgiveness? And then do you teach your kids how to reconcile, how to accuse themselves, how to ask for forgiveness, how to extend mercy, how to make up for it through repentance, and how to never do it again? What about in the idea of when you are in a a, a temptation, in a trial, in your married life, not to hide, but to take initiative to say, I'm going to get over this. I'm going to approach and I'm going to reconcile right? Who, who gets taught these things? This is so, this holds back so many fathers from being magnificent in leading and providing and protecting. And in, in, well, here's my last one, being courageous and kind, having a readiness to suffer. I say courage and kind. I put those two together because they're often counterposed, right? You've got kind, a kind father is someone who's maybe soft. He's gentle, but he'll be taken advantage of. But then the, the father that's more courageous might be considered more hard and uh, forceful and demanding. And so I say courageous and kind. They come together in the word compassionate, the readiness to suffer. See, courage is the readiness to suffer, right? Patience, right? They're ready to take on uh, challenges that will even lead to the, the, the draining and the loss of your life. Who teaches fathers how to be courageous and kind together? That, that's a gap. All right, back in a minute with more of the program. And when I come back, I'm going to talk about having spiritual fathers who are magnificent.
Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Kern. It's great to be with you today. All right, coming back to the program, I'm here now to talk about our spiritual fathers, right? I've already mentioned the way in which this this call I had, this penance I had to strive to be a magnificent father. Um, it resonated deeply with some events that were happening in my in my past week, and I want to focus now on the event of uh, yesterday's program, uh, talking with Father Jeff Lewis, we were reflecting together on some of the gifts of being in the seminary, uh, where you're formed to be a spiritual father, but some of the gaps that also show up as well. And I already highlighted four gaps that I've experienced in my own being a father because of the, the lack of formation that I had, uh, the lack of preparation, the lack of formation. So these were foreign realities to me. They just weren't known to me uh, because of the, the formation I received before I got married. And uh, and you know what? Very big deal stuff. Big deal stuff. And, and I've just already talked about them, that weight of inheritance, lead, provide, protect, spiritual warfare, being courageous and kind. And then yesterday we talked about this and just want to build it back up again that priests are our spiritual fathers and we have to pray for them. We need them to be magnificent spiritual fathers, magnificent to extend themselves, to be great in holiness, great in how they're serving, because the, the, the again, the, the battle is so fierce today. And the devil is going to go after our priests and our bishops and attempt to keep them down, uh, to, to spread them out, to confuse them, to distract them, to disperse them, to keep them too busy. And, uh, and, and part of where the devil's going to put some focus is definitely in the seminary, definitely in seminaries. And if the devil can hold back some of the formation that happens there that will hold, make it more challenging or difficult for our priests to be spiritual fathers, that, that's a prime opportunity for, uh, for that spiritual warfare to be engaged. So just to focus then on uh, on life in the seminary and why there are certain themes that you just won't often hear from the majority of priests, it's because they were never formed in them. Just like me, not being formed uh, in being married, just the majority of priests were just not formed in, in any kind of depth level in these themes. And, and again, I'm not speaking 100%, right? This isn't uh, a blanket. This is something that is, uh, it's a fair characterization based on the priests I've talked to and worked with over the past 33 years. <laughs> That's a lot of priests and bishops uh, and uh, uh, gatherings of priests and being with bishops on different committees and serving dioceses across the country, having friends across the country. This is not, an, this is not a stretch. The first is the theme of spiritual warfare. It's just not a theme. Now, in more recent years, it's, it started to come up into the open, but here's how I want to say it. Uh, someone gave me a book at this prayer meeting I was at. Hey, I brought this book. I didn't know what to do with it. I'm giving it to you. It was called All Things to All Men. And it was like this bunch of essays. It was written, I think, in the, when was it? The um, mid, late 60s, uh, mid to late 60s. So just after Vatican II. And when I read it, I just kind of cut it open and started reading one of the essays. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is the message. This is the spirit that I was taught in the seminary, and I think in some series still exists. It was 
be all things to all men. There's this openness to the world and to go and be in the world, but not of the world and be with the world to sanctify uh, the different sectors of society. And and you need to be out there to be with people and be open to them. And, and you'll see the way God is at work among uh, the people of, of, of today and, and be a person of influence and engage in dialogue with them. And, and I'm like, yes, that was that's what I was immersed in in the seminary, that whole spirit. And by the way, a number of things that I just said, those are like quotes from the Second Vatican Council, um, which I'm not putting down, at, not even for one bit. It was how the totality of the message was presented. It diminished the idea that there is a battle between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. It diminished greatly this idea that... Um, when we live in the world, but we're not of the world, it's because there is in the world a, a spirit and a realm of the demonic that is at work. This was not emphasized, not even a tiny bit. And so the idea that you're living in a world where you're going to be called upon prophetically to stand up, speak out, and push back, and call others to do the same, it wasn't a thing. It just was not a thing. Even pro-life movements, right? I want to say that the church, some seminaries have done a better job in the past, say, decade of having seminarians go and pray in front of abortion clinics. Like, I know that happens here in Spokane, and that's a huge blessing that seminarians will go and do that. But um, when I did that, I was the only guy in the seminary, literally the only guy in the seminary that did it. Um, back in, this was in the mid eighties. Um, and you know, it's, so the idea of saying, we're going to stand up, speak out and push back. If you wonder why bishops and priests are so slow to do that, it's just, it's not in their nature. It's because they weren't formed to think that in the seminary or in their priesthood or being bishops, that one of their principal calls was to take a prophetic stand in relationship to the world. Now, um, I, just consider myself very blessed. Uh, Father uh, Bishop Daly here in Spokane has been uh, has been an exception to the rule. There are a number of times where I have heard him and, and love to, uh, you know, help promote his messages in those times where he has taken a stand, s- stood up and pushed back. But in general, this is something that if a priest is doing that today, it's an incredible gift. You got to pray for that. If you have a priest that is doing that, stands up, speaks out, and pushes back, that is a rare thing. I have to say, uh, I am part of a parish uh, that uh, the, these priests do that quite strongly. Uh, and I think you'll find that, that fraternity priests, the priestly fraternity of St. Peter, their formation is a very different thing, very different thing. And so you'll find that um, at, in fraternity parishes, that you'll have priests who are willing to put it right out there and challenge their people with how we're living. And that's a gift. Hard to receive sometimes, but a gift. Okay, the second the second of these gaps is that um, the theme of spiritual power just almost, I don't think it really ever came up. Okay, now that sounds weird. Because ecclesiastical power, that was a thing. <laughs> that was the thing. Uh, ecclesiastical uh, game, gamemanship. Uh, the, the seminarians that had a formal, polished approach to their life in the seminary, 
making connections, getting, building relationships with the right priests, uh, getting connected with bishops, uh, showing themselves to be company men that were safe. That, yeah, in the North American College in Rome, that was a thing. <laughs> that was a really big thing. So ecclesiastical power, yep. Ladder climbing, yep, absolutely. Spiritual power. Spiritual power, no, not a thing. The uh, if, if that was ever talked about, it would be sanctifying grace. That's That would be the container for the theme of spiritual power, that God works supernaturally through the sacraments and rarely as it shows up in day-to-day experience in the lives of saints. There you go. That's where we'll expect to have uh, supernatural encounters with the life of God, is in the sacraments and the lives of the saints. But the idea of the power of Pentecost, what happened at Pentecost, is something that every believer in the body of Christ, every Catholic, should seek after, seek out, and be open to have released within them was never stated. And so it's not understood. It's not expected. It's not sought after. It's a great sadness, right? It's a theme that you've heard me talk about in recent weeks when I was quoting Pope Leo XIII and how this blessed Elena Guerra, this sister, was sent by the Lord to say, speak more on the Holy Spirit, more on the Holy Spirit, get a novena of the Holy Spirit going. And Father Pope prayed over the whole century for the Holy Spirit to be released. And 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 so there's this sense of like when priests can come in contact with the idea of spiritual power happening, Pentecost happening, apart from their own understanding of spiritual power happens through the sacraments and the lives of saints. It's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. This is a foreign territory. Priests didn't get it as seminarians. In fact, uh, when they heard about any kind of like spiritual power and the manifestation of like the gifts of the spirit, it was it was written off as emotionalism or put into a category of not my spirituality. Or they had limited encounters with people who came from like the charismatic renewal or they went to a prayer meeting and, and somehow that gave them the ability to ba- basically write off the whole thing. And, and the great sadness is, it is holding back so many Catholics from accessing their inheritance. That the power of God, given at Pentecost, is in them but not released from them. God bless your day. Join me tomorrow for more Sun Insight.